My conversation today is with author, scholar, and translator David Pantano. David's translation of the work of 19th century Italian alchemist and hermetic philosopher Giuliano Kremers in the 2022 Inner Traditions release of The Hermetic Physician with Marco Daffy showcases his grasp on Kremers' complex philosophy. Further, his book entitled The Magic Door, a study on the Italic Hermetic tradition highlights his profound enthusiasm for an encyclopedic knowledge of the inner traditions of the Italian peninsula from the time of Rome onward, which were instrumental in the preservation of the spiritual traditions of the West and the birth of the Renaissance. Speaking with David was a delightful and humbling experience in which I was continually illuminated concerning the scope of history, esotericism, and spirituality that this particular branch of esoteric study embodies. His work is of inestimable value to any serious student of Hermeticism and the Western esoteric traditions, and a boon to any enthusiast of history in general. Though perhaps not currently as thoroughly investigated by modern practitioners and researchers as other periods, the italic trajectory of the Western traditions is certainly receiving good treatment in David's hands. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. What I'm interested in, because something that I have found to be very useful in, in you know, occult research and, and in practice is, is just language in general and etymology. It's something that fascinates me. Um, you know, I, I grew up with another language in, in my home. My, my, my father was from Greece. Uh, my mother's side of the family is Italian, but she didn't speak it. Uh, what brought you into uh, the realm of translation? Is that something that you you kind of pursued a degree for? I mean, had you been doing that in a, a different milieu beforehand? or? Well, yeah, I did take at university languages, uh, primarily the Romance languages, um, uh, French, Italian, Spanish. And I have an interesting interest in that area. I. Uh, uh, translation is more a means to an end for me than than an actual profession. Um, I consider myself an author, a scholar, a historian, researcher primarily. Translation is just a, a means to get to what what my research entails. So um, yeah, and I do I actually do. Speaking of translation, I. I my I'm because of my studies in in the Romance languages. I have a I have a, a, I guess a sympathy for uh, lang, lang, uh, words in 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 the vernacular. So whether English or or any of the other languages I mentioned that have a Latin base, and because um, I, I think my my study my research over the years, the original meanings of of those. Latin uh, roots um, is something that I'd like to I like to discover and to bring back up to light. So, example would be vir, which um, in ancient in in ancient Roman or ancient Latin terms represented a, the uh, distinguished man, the realized man. And uh, we the roots or the cognate of, of vir we have like virtue. And um, it's taken on different meanings, you know, virtue, and it's mostly in, I guess, in language has a moralistic component, whereas actually in the ancient Roman uh, context of, of Vir was, is a man who was, who was manly, who was 
um, uh, live by principled behavior, someone uh, who wasn't easily compromised. And I guess the greatest exponents of that would be the the ancient Stoics, the Marcus Aureliuses, the Senecas, Cincinnati's, that type of thing, who lived a very astute and austere life uh, based on very simple principles. They were considered veer. They were considered man in, in, in its most um, accomplished aspects. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Um, because, uh, well, recently I've, I have taught a, uh, a course. It's, it's going on right now, but I, I taught the first uh, part of it at the Institute for Hermetic Studies on, on the three books of occult philosophy. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different translations, right? You've got the JF and then the Tyson and then the uh, the Purdue one, which is, in, in my opinion, that's probably the best one to use. But I was referencing back to um, some of the the earlier Latin manuscripts. And yeah, I mean, because right all over the, the the entirety of that text is covered in in you know virtus virtutum you know all of that and and it's the most obscure it's the most heavily used yeah. and it's the most obscure latin word so i i really had to try and figure out what this word meant because the, the but and the root as you know is exactly what we're talking about vir you know that that kind of um man in its fullness and so i think i think the the definition i arrived at and really also eric purdue was uh was power yeah the it's cognitive um uh like with the greek ter- ancient greek term called arete yes uh, accomplishment of, of perfection mm-hmm. um, Excellent. and and if you want to expand the influence it's it it's reflective in the german ur as you you and v are are inter uh, interrelated um the the the, the actual um figurative uh representation of of you itself changed from from a v to a u so if you look at what you know v, v, uh, v it actually represents ur which has primordial primordial roots on it and also representative of of of, of fire of, of mm-hmm. that fire principle, which has very strong hermetic um, uh, uh, components and representations as well. Yeah. So is that is that the root of um, just just now that we've touched upon this? Is is that kind of the source of the 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 name for the the or group? You know, uh, Julius Evola and definitely so. Yes. Okay. Definitely that's so. that's great. There actually was a, uh, at a around the same time in the 1920s uh, a journal called Veer. And um, that Evola was associated with. So that's actually something I haven't written about, but I've I've had as part of my research, I've actually come across that the actual name itself probably was a reflection, um, and it's and it's written about in those actual uh, manuals uh, in the Ur manuals um, on the the importance of Veer and how that the the meaning has uh, the tr- how that meaning has troped or, or transformed over over the ages to represent something that what it originally meant. Wow. That's excellent. Um, and I, I know that we're, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're <laughs> going to be talking tonight about uh, personages and ideas within the um, uh, Italic, you know, hermetic tradition. I, I know that that's, you know, that was the, um, 
uh, the central theme of of your book, The Magic Door. But I wanted to talk about Kramer for for a second, since since we were talking about your translation of his. Very interesting guy for me, uh, because from what I can tell, he's still not really well known in a lot of esoteric societies and communities, really. But I've um, he's or he's one of the lesser known figures, you know, of of that time period. And a couple of years ago, I just randomly pulled off the shelf at a bookstore the Hermetic Science of Transformation, and uh, it really. It really floored me. It was a really solid translation. And, uh, you know, the thing that I loved about it is he was constantly adjuring the reader towards this idea of exactly what we're talking about here, veer, you know, this this kind of um, uh, this prerequisite to uh, an initiatic path is self-development really before you're ready to take steps into things like magic and stuff like that. But what, I mean, I'm still a little hazy on, on Kremers's background. Where does he figure in and all that? Sure. I think, and um, I, I totally agree how you summarized and characterized uh, Kremers in, in the, in the occult world. Um, then he, he's a, he's a vastly underrated and, and, um, uh, vastly important figure in 20th century occultism. Um, he was a hierophant in the sense that he not only um, was a practitioner, but he had very he was a very strong doctrinaire as well in terms of his his writings. And he he had written probably around 20 books, and I think only just. It's only now that we're starting to scratch the surface, one or two that actually been translated into English. Um, in terms of his standings, he was um, he was a, a prodigious uh, individual since an early age where he had developed certain powers, certain faculties that were out of the norm. Uh, in his family that he's, he's from uh, Portici, which is a small town outside of Naples born in 1861, died in 1930. Um, he connected with these Italic uh, Egyptian school that is a school of, of teachings that go back to Cagliostro and prior to Cagliostro to uh, a savant named um, Prince Raimondo de Sangro. And um, so Kremers was associated with this school and uh, the practice that he had his strongest affinity for was hermetic healing. And um, it was a time, I guess, in the, in the late 1800s, around 1880, there was a cholera pandemic in Europe that affected Naples pretty severely. And um, wanted to use his powers of intuition, of, of magnetism, uh, to be able to, to make a difference, to be able to uh, supplement um, uh, in, infirmities with positive energy and, and see if that made a, di a difference. So he's very much started out as an experimenter. He attended various medium mediums and uh, learned from mediums of that time, which is very popular spiritism. Um, but he, is, he was kind of disgusted with that because people would go there and they would be wowed and, you know, ectoplasm would in some cases be manifested. But in the end, people went away no no better off than when they started. So he was interested more in that transformative component in inner alchemy, and that's where the veer comes in because in in the ancient classical representation of a hierarchy of beings, 
the veer is 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 cognitive with the hero they're they're a level above the human and a, a level below in some cases they're actually sort of supersede the gods the divine ones and so veer was very much something that he wrote about uh uh, as representing this um, this stage of development that uh, one can tap into some un, uh, untapped or unresourced faculties to be able to um, uh, elaborate, so I guess, one's individual powers and and um, uh, extra sense sense sensitivities. Yeah, and I, I really got the sense that he he that was the whole thing about reading him was that I got the sense that he spoke from a place of deep insight rather than just, um, you know, this rote accumulation and regurgitation of knowledge. He, he really, he, he really, um, touched me in a way, you know, in particular, yeah. I did, I didn't, I didn't know that about, about him, that he used magnetism. That's fascinating. Cause that's how that happens to be one of my favorite subjects about that, that oh, time. Yeah, yeah. Mine as well. Uh, and that's one of the, components that attracted me to Kremritz as well. So he had a very complex um, ideology of, of magnetism. Uh, it, it had to do with harmonizing the macrocosm with the microcosm. So you're that's hermetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so there was various um, celestial configurations where qualities of energy needed to be tapped into. So this is all part of developing this uh, inner sense, this inner intuitive understanding of the forces, of the various qualities of forces, but also quantities. And that's where the hermetic chain came into, is that um, we can tap in individually into various types of qualities, but that can be augmented. So almost like a magnifying glass when other energies are, are aggregated and uh, condensed into into a quantum of, of energy, and then uh, used for for beneficial purposes. That's fantastic, actually, because uh, uh, in in coming over the in combing through the the Agrippa stuff, actually, there's some there's some intimation of exactly that, and I think Agrippa calls it uh, um, the gifts of many stars. You you. Oh, yeah, utilizing that in, in, in you know, in terms of an, an aggregate uh, uh, for for natural magic. Really, I mean, he was a proponent of theurgy. But yeah, it's it's. Um, I loved his philosophy regarding the rectification of the the microcosm and the macrocosm because it's that is one of I think at least in the hermetic lineages of, of initiatic training here in the West. I mean, it's a synchronon, you know, it's like, you, it's, it, that is what's going on in a lot of quote unquote, outer door, or outer order initiation. There's this kind of alchemical formula that's attempting to reorganize your, your spiritual architecture and your psychology towards, uh, you know, to try and make the, the pattern of your microcosm, more closely resemble the pattern of the patterns of the the macrocosm. So I, I really enjoyed that um, about him. I I actually I, I ordered your book, uh, The Magic Door, and I'm very very excited to dive into it. And I hope we can have uh, another conversation either on here or just yeah. just in person about it because I'm so excited, especially. You did a great great interview with uh, with Rudolph. 
um, mm-hmm. uh, for Thoth Hermes. And there's, there's a bunch of stuff in there that I kind of picked from, but, um, and I've been hearing excellent things about everything that you do, but, uh, f- so your, your, your work, the magic door, you know, you've, you've oriented yourself towards this, um, italic hermetic tradition and kind of, uh, I, when I think of some of that stuff, Florentine Renaissance comes to mind, but for our, for some of our listeners that are just being introduced to you, your work and, and, and this, you know, this term, the italic tradition, could you sort of give us a, a brief run, rundown of, of, of what exactly that is? Sure. Italic in the sense that, uh, in the peninsula, the it- peninsula, the Italian peninsula, um, there, there are two significant eras. One is the Latin or Roman era. And then there was the, the post Latin or Italian where the vernacular, um, took precedence. And the two different topologies, I talk about that in The Magic Door, The Twin Soul, and uh, two actually polar um, changes that occurred uh, um, as a a result of that transfer from uh, a Roman Roman animus to a Italian animus. Uh, So that's the reference to Italic. in references to um, those two periods or two eras of a uh, of Roman um, c- consciousness and one of an Italian consciousness. And, and some of the key figures would be uh, in the Italian, um, you know, after the, the medieval, uh, w- would be the dawn of the Renaissance with, with Dante and his, his spiritual journey that represented in the Divine Comedy, where there's this tripartite, a division of uh, or levels of being that one needs to go through, which is um, uh, mir- mirrors the alchemical um, regimens of a of a black of a of a white and a red, the inferno or the underworld, the white, the purgatorio, and the the red or the uh, paradiso. So that's a that paradigm that um, initiatic Weltenstung is. Uh, common to both the Italic and uh, both to the Latin and to the Italian eras of of, of the, the history of, of occultism in the peninsula of Italy, and um, in in the in the Roman area, you get that in Virgil in his descent of Aeneas into the underworld um, with through the Golden Bow, and I talk about that. Uh, it's actually the opening monologue in my uh, Magic Door. I deconstruct that. Um, that ritual of the golden, of the golden bow, of the uh, ritual of uh, the priest kings of the Lake Nemi, uh, act which preceded actual uh, historical times. So that sets the the motive, the light motive for the whole book, and you can say for the whole Italic tradition. Uh, for and it it ties back into the veer. The veer is something that um, is is not uh, invested on. You're not born a veer. It's it's something that you achieve. And it's this transformation. You enter into this abyss, this descent into hell, to, to in Jungian terms, to come to terms with your your shadows, with your dark areas, to 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 clean that up. And from that, there's a purgate, the purgation that occurs. That that one must uh, be, have the strength and the insight to be able to identify the the path of who you are. Terms of an identity as an, as an individual energy or, or force, but also in a collective, in a tradition, 
and then to integrate those powers. And then once you're at that level of, of, of the, that white regimen or the albedo, then you can attempt the, uh, the really ascension to, to that body of light uh, that's found in, in the paradiso. So that in a nutshell, like is sort of like the, the light motive or the, um, the initiative paradigm that is represented in this tradition. And that you'll find in, in any of the Renaissance, uh, Neoplatonists or Hermeticists from, from Ficino to Giordano Bruno, Pico della Mirandola, Tommaso Campan Campanella, even all the way up to Cesare della Rivero in his The Magical World of Heroes. It's all talking about the same thing. And we bring it contemporarily to the 20th century with Kremert's Regini um, and Julia Sevilla, it's you're you're really tapping into the same um, viewpoint, and it's just brought up to date with modern languages, with more scientific and psychological verbiage than than what was available um, back in the um, I guess you know back in the the early eras of of of, of Rome or, or even of the Renaissance. So that in a nutshell gives hopefully the, the readers an, an indication what we're talking. We're talking about magical heroes or veers. Mm -hmm. We're talking about uh, this purification or this transformation metamorphosis that involves a descent into hell, that involves a purgation of your components that are bringing you down as, a, as an individual, as a human. The human side of it, the human animal, which is what um, Kremers calls it. Uh, you can transform into what Dante calls the Angelica butterfly, the Angelic uh, butterfly, the Angelica farfalla, so that when you're able to to transform into this into this um, uh, transformed being, you have the foundation to to rise to to a higher level, and and there's various components that that if we if we have time we can get into, but that's involved with this body of light and, and inner transformation and alchemy. Yeah, that sounds fascinating to me. And I've I've even seen that, you know, as as early as as in, you know, contemporary times in, in, in Western initiatic circles, you know, I, I I really I don't make any secret about it. Obviously, I'm I, I'm uh, the system I came up in was the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And I, I still work that system. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm down here in in in, uh, in Western North Carolina. But what is so interesting to me at the the, I guess if you want to call them inner levels or or quote unquote adept levels, uh, the you know particularly this even the stuff that's just in the black book with Regerty, he's talking they're talking about the transcending of the the era of uh, worship and tribute to tutelary deities. And taking on that hero's path, you know, as as literally sort of like the the like you're saying the 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 mythic narrative, right? The symbolic this the, the symbolic tale of of you know how an individual undergoes that process, and and sort of I guess the word he uses is transcends fate in that way. You know, you you yeah. I think I think what he says is the true adept moves from the sides to the center. You know, and uh, and for me, that's got all sorts of connotations wrapped up with the, you know, the trials of Hercules and and all stuff like that. So it's, I think it's, you know, it really, it's quite a powerful thing, and it's it's with us in the in the present day in 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 modern uh, 
initiation too. If if you know if if that's what you're paying attention to, because it is there, there is kind of like a buffet style thing happening right now with with occultism and and you, you know you don't have to pay attention to that through line but it's i would say that that's that is really present when you're doing um that kind of work yeah no i i would second that there definitely is a smorgasbord of people uh in who are working in 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 this inner path and you know they they it's a pick and choose type of thing and I guess you were to various results. A lot of it just goes back into circles, and some of it you get. You see people getting hung up in mirages and, and into into fool's gold. Um, but I think that's all part of the the process of where you're at uh, individually and, and psychically. That you come up to false ends, and you come up to uh, you know you veer off the 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 beat. You, you veer off the the right path. You go on to a tangent. That, um, leads to ends that aren't what you thought they would be. But I think that's all part of the learning curve. That's all part of the apprentice's work is that you, you, you learn to know what you know and what you don't know. And, and sometimes what you don't know is, is, is part of what the, the, the path you're on. And, and it, it takes courage that you know that something that leads to a dead end actually will you know open up uh, another uh, vista to you that wasn't uh, available if you stay on the same path and they're finding a lot of in in the occult literature that they're all every, everyone's talking about the same thing and it's just you know it just goes around in circles there isn't a lot of breakthrough or or new insights and light into um in, into inner development um and it's, I think it's good that you, in a comparative sense, you can look into some of the practices in the East and, and, but, you know, from my perspective, I'm Western and, and the path that, that I'm interested in is a Western path that doesn't uh, subjugate the, the, the individual, you know, that, you know, that tries to drown the individual into this greater nirvanic type of of a whole that the, the the individual is we're all stars and um, it's finding that connection and finding that path to that celestial light is is part of the process. So um, you know I, I I don't have I'm not a purist in the sense that you need to you know stick to this curriculum and so forth. I think even my own my own background, my own interest as a research, I've I've gone into I've looked at all different types of traditions from from the west and the east and and there's there's some synergies that definitely have helped to explain components of, of the west that the east have have a greater elaboration and, and greater clarity and vice versa so to answer that question i agree there's a smorgasbord i think where i would challenge it is when you're starting to read the same things over and over again it's just um at that point you may want to stop and think of, you know, do some own direct work yourself, some some inner light, and uh, and not be so reliant on on someone else's experiences and um, and not and, and knowledge breakthroughs. That's an excellent point. Yeah, and, and it's I think that's important for a lot of people to hear, and that just goes back to the power of you know for me the power of Kremers's work because I could you really get a sense that he has insight, which is you know experience. You know he has. He definitely has that that kind of experience. But one question that had had kind of been 
I've been rolling over in my head. So we've got this Italic Hermetic tra tradition, right? It's, it's 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 Hermeticism, really, as opposed to Hermetism. Um, but how does it differ in terms of the the Hermetism that that we find in in late antiquity? So is it the same like textual textual canons? For instance, I've seen I've seen like the the Somnium Scipionis, the, the Dream of Scipio. I've seen that like lumped in with like Westcott put it in his uh, Collectania Hermetica and some people have written about that in a hermetic uh, kind of way and obviously you know Cicero wrote that but um, the thing is a lot of people would would kind of you know challenge that idea that that is a hermet hermetic treatise well, so what's the difference well you'll see that in my book once you get in the in the Magidor. I have a chapter uh, on the dream of, of Scipio uh, by Cicero so um in terms of what differentiates the this italic current of the hermetic tradition i think it's just that it's it's roots are based in this greco-roman egyptian um m motherboard of, of 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 practices of traditions of doctrines that it doesn't alienate into uh hebraic uh kabbalism and um in, into other type of traditions it's it's pretty um defined in its in its contours that it sticks within this basin of of knowledge and practices and the reference points are those that you mentioned so what is the connection of the somnium shipium with with hermeticism uh, the art of memory the art of recalling uh, past lives that amnesius that uh, the greeks came up with is that to understand yourself you need to understand your innate qualities your innate dimensions from those that have been developed as a result of societal conditioning which may not represent who you truly are so you want to get to that irredefinable component of who you are as a being to do that you need to go inside yourself and to separate the various accretions of societal uh, conditioning. So how do you do that? The, the art of memory is, is a very strong um, practice to do that. And that was taken up a thousand years later by Ramon Lowe in his uh, Ars Memoria, and then Bruno took a shot at it, and then your, your favorite author, uh, Cornelius Agrippa, uh, wrote on that as well. So it's all connected. Yeah. Um, so, and also, I mean, it's probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but the public assumption or the mainstream assumption is that, so kind of Ficino was the door for, I, I mean, I guess, I guess the Medici, right? Just the whole, the whole system there that was going on while Cosimo was alive. Uh, Cause I, I, you know, if I have it correctly, so Ficino translated not only the complete works of Plato and our, and the the extant works of Aristotle, but the Corpus Hermeticum. And uh, but the thing is, what's interesting to me is that Cosimo de Medici was the one who was sort of finding this stuff from the monks that he had in these monasteries, searching for these texts. Uh, it, it's very curious to me that um that a businessman would would have these things on his radar, you know, and know exactly who to bring them to and 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 be able to gauge their importance, right? Because at a certain point he he basically pushes Plato off of Ficino's desk and says, "Here, translate this." Ah, but that's the 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 the, the key insight how you just defined that is that what differentiated Florence from other urban centers in Europe was exactly that, was that humanistic culture that put value 
on on culture, on on works of wisdom, on the perennial tradition, and not just on commerce, and not just on business, and just not on on military. So the inner development, the spiritual development, um, the the pursuit of languages, both current current but also so-called dead languages like ancient Greek and Hebrew and and uh, the, the first shots at trying to decipher the uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics was around that time. So that's what really differentiated Florence. It was a cultural hub. And of course, around that time uh, in the 1420s, the Constantinople was uh, invaded and conquered by the Turks. Constantinople was one of the last bastions of ancient classical knowledge. So you had a lot of these scholars uh, that uh, left from Constantinople and took up residency in Florence. And hence the Picatrix, the, the, her, the um, Hermetics, the Corpus Hermeticum, a lot of these texts that uh, were either lost or forgotten or were very difficult to find became more widely available through the translations from scholars like Ficino and um, Ludvico Lazzarelli, Pico della Mirandola. So it was a very uh, strong cultural hub that prided itself on ancient wisdom and finding your roots and, and origins. And that's sort of what we bring it up. We're going back and forth in eras and, and centuries and millennium. And I think that's okay. But when you look at the, the Ur group, the 1930s at Julius Evola and Arturo Regrini, it was basically in those same premises is that they were they were feeling that you know after the world war after world war one there was a sense of of emptiness that you know life didn't have meaning and and so there was a search to their origins like what who are we and what tradition do do we belong to and and how can we bring back to life how can this old stump of a tradition germinate with new and flower and come up with new new impulses for stimulation and and you saw that in the works of of the of the Euro group and and what some of the other works that came subsequently to it to, to those uh, tomes um, primarily like what I've translated from Marco Daffy who was a disciple of, of Giuliano Cremerz. Yeah, uh, it, it's really interesting to me too because you know it wasn't it wasn't. Uh, you know, just specifically sort of like one aspect or type of philosophy that, that was being explored. It was kind of this, there was this nexus point right there at the beginning of the Florentine Renaissance, where you had these texts, these really these, you know, corpuses, these, the bo these bodies of work that had been missing for, for like a thousand years. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, like you're saying, you you have them re-emerging, reappearing yeah. at this very specific time, and it's it's, and from there to you know at least ostensibly from that you have this cultural, and uh, uh, an even further kind of expansion of cultural rebirth. I mean, do you think that those that that philosophical movement had uh, a, a, a catalytic effect to the Renaissance or? Well, definitely so. I, I mean, if, even if you look at some of the works from the famous Renaissance uh, painters, The Judgment of Paris, uh, which is a famous painting by Raffaele, it's it's based on, and he, it's even in in in, the, in in some of the writings 
uh, on the works of uh, Ficino. Uh, it, it was not a surprise that around this time uh, in Renaissance eras just north of Florence and Bologna that the Tarot started to get currency. It was this Renaissance, this rebirth, and again, rebirth through a journey to find one's roots. And the roots were this Greco-Roman uh, Egyptian uh, basin. And uh, there's this, in my book, The Magic Door, there's this passage where I translate this, um, uh, this very unknown uh, manuscript called The Practice of Philo Philosophical Ecstasy, where it actually traces a process of, of uh, uh, an initiate who's able to turn off his mind, close his eyes, and flow downstream. And um, how to get into these these transitional states of mind to um, buffer out the profane world, and then open your open up your inner inner window to this magical world of of spectral representations. Mm. So that's in in the translation in the magic door. Um, uh, that is from a mid uh, Renaissance text that some have attributed to Tommaso Campanella, who wrote *The City of the Sun*. Others claim it was it was uh, Giordano Bruno. So yeah, it was very much a time like of experimentation spiritually and culturally. There was this fermentation, exchange of ideas, this rebirth of this ancient font of, of tradition that came through. And um, yeah, I think uh, the reverberation to this day is still being felt. That the Corpus Hermeticums, the the paintings, uh, the the work of art, the culture, um, it still is sort of like a, a high point that the Western society is yet to to achieve, at least from a cultural level. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, so as as far as your examination of you know uh some of the documents and and i'm sure you've done a tremendous amount of synthesizing just by you talking about your book i'm getting even more ex excited to kind of dive in you know because i i like stuff that that explores the the imaginal and 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 things like that because that's really where my bread and butter is but from from what you've seen how much of a part did practical magic as we might conceptualize it today play a part in in the italic hermetic tradition what was there kind of an established or uh, were there people who were practicing like magic as we would conceive of it oh definitely so an example you brought up would be marsilio ficino who um was born according to his writings an autobiography under an auspicious sign that the influence of saturn uh, weighed over his personality, and for him to to buffer those those Saturnian effects. So, so, what does that mean? Is that he was prone to depressions and anxiety and foul uh, moods, and that when he felt that um, Saturnian influence taking hold, that he would resort to to his lyre and sing um, Orphic incantations, and that would raise his spirits. Uh, from the sublunar level to this higher astral level. So that's an example itself at a personal level of magic and how important it was. But there's all kinds of components and I write about it using various filters, the Ars Amatoria or the art of love. And basically magic comes down to two components of sympathies and antipathies. So antipathies is you wanna avoid the negative things that happen to you, the illnesses, the, the bad lucks, the misfortunes, 
all those things. So there are certain practices that you can do both internally and externally, but also sympathies uh, in terms of how to enrich your life uh, internally and externally, you know, to, to find a mate, to get a good job, to get, do in life what you want to do, your vocation, to recall information, to be able to communicate. That requires all a sympathetic connection. So that those type of practices of, uh, were front and center came to birth or rebirth in the Renaissance. So there's a lot of texts, a lot of manuscripts that are written on magical practices and um, from, from various levels. So not only at an astral level, but internal magic as well. Yeah, and what I find pretty interesting is that there's there's uh, modern uh, magic, specifically magical orders that have claimed a, a descent uh, in the Western tradition from from the Karegi circle. Uh, exactly. You know, yes. and which is really it's kind of it's cool for me to hear that because, you know, an academic treatment of it will you'll typically find um, that it was, you know, a, a villa a villa where uh you know marsilio ficino kind of ran his new platonic academy i guess uh but it was mostly kind of a loose affiliation right of of artists and intellectuals and stuff so um it i guess just as an aside it would be it would really fulfill a fantasy of mine to to someday find out that they were doing magic there well they definitely were doing magic there you read the ficino has a book um it's very well translated by sunni i, be I believe on the three books of, of life. Mm. And one is on, on uh, celestial uh, magic. And um, it had a strong uh, impact on Agrippa, that there, there are actually passages that uh, he's taken directly from that both he's attributed to it and not attributed. It was perhaps the most widely circulated book of magic in the Renaissance and post-Renaissance. And it mm. set the foundation for further developments in in the art of magic and and magic in itself is is a word that has chaldean and um persian origins it means to make and from that um there's that component of magic is about creation creating truths it's about using forms so non-physical entities to be able to um inject with energies that actually precipitate into manifestations um, and um, those type of concepts are are developed uh, conceptually wise into these various magical tones uh, throughout the Renaissance and post Renaissance eras. Yes, thankfully so, uh, because that's you know that's what we're drawing. That's what we draw on still to this day. I mean, it, yeah. Through, through and, and my my work is to bring attention to them and is is to to bring this whole Renaissance and Italic. Uh, hermetic tradition back to the to the forefront. Let's face it. I mean, the English world is is sort of like the Rome of of, of contemporary times, and mm -hmm. it's making that connection is not losing our our roots. Is is bringing that forefront, and it's very um, noble roots. Is very um, um, advanced and 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 uh, culturally and and aesthetically and and practically so so valuable that we don't want to lose them or have them forgotten. So that's part part of my vocation and part of what I get a kick of is, is to see these these doctrines and these these authors and, and these heroes um, get getting the attention that they deserve, that they can inspire other uh, other people to 
to read up about them and to practice some of their works and to take their works further. That's excellent. I, and I, I, I absolutely appreciate that work, you know, because it's, it seems as if, you know, the, the mainstream is only becoming aware of, of the, the involvement of this type of philosophy and, and sort of the magical worldview as part and parcel of things like the Renaissance, you know, and, and, and part and parcel of things like Neoplatonism or even Platonism. You know, my, my big thing is that I connect with, with both of my roots. You know, I, I, I've, I've been to those places. I've walked, you know, um, through the piazzas in Rome and I've, I've been to the Duomo in, in, in Florence. And I, I regularly go to Greece, you know, to, to connect, um, I go to the I go to the the, the Academy of Plato, the, its ruins and stuff right outside of of Athens. And uh, in in my experience connecting with these early documents, I mean, like what I was taught was kind of dis in in what I was taught to read as like discursive and intellectual. I'm now finding it to be like supremely mystical, which is uh, exactly. I mean, a great example would be Dante, where the, the the scholarly types, the scholastic world, or academia, has like brought him down to this boring, um, you know, curriculum that you take in high school. You know, you, do you take Shakespeare or or Dante? And it's about oh, it's his imagination. It's actually a spiritual journey. And that walk in the, in the forest where he has this breakthrough, this portal, is actually an initiatic journey that he undertakes. And um, but that mysticism, that um, and the orders that he was with, the Fidelity de More, which are, which was a Templar organization, doesn't get any attention at all. Everything is like contextualized within this, you know, the scholarly type of guy who who wrote this beautiful poetry. But it just skims the surface. It doesn't open up to other filaments of lights that maybe people who are more mystical orientation can grasp to. And that's one of the, another component that in my book that I try to highlight is the, some of these authors that we just take for granted as part of the Western curriculum, like Virgil and or Homer or Ovid and, and Dante, there's actually a very strong spiritual component. They were vatas. Vatas means they had, they were seers and they were able to uh, transcend their their human self to go inside and 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 open up to this world that they they they've articulated in their in their books and it's not just a fertile imagination the imagination is a faculty they use but the light that they receive is through these inner visions and there's a whole process of methodology to achieve that and they articulate that in the sixth book of the Aeneid or in the uh, in the in in the in the um, ninety nine uh, canticles of the uh, canticles of the of the of the divine comedy, it's all written. In, in, but you need to the eyes to see and the ears ears to hear, and and that's what my book is is books are about is to show people that you know to reexamine our traditions that there's a lot of value and a lot of knowledge to be regained that um, you know perhaps you overlooked because of your schooling and, and your, your, your education or your, your cultural influences, your, you know, television or whatever doesn't get you to do justice. Yeah. Well, one, one, uh, one person that I kind of wanted to touch on just a little bit, to, um, before we, we wrap up is, uh, kind of a controversial figure. 
but I, I, I find him great for several reasons. But um, obviously, Julius Evola. Uh, I heard you mention something about him in the Thoth Hermes podcast interview. Uh, I think you mentioned he was, and, and this was amazing to me, <laughs> you mentioned he was actually encouraging activists against, against like, political activism which is definitely not, yeah. <laughs> that's that's incredible he, he just realized how shallow these people were that they were just being influenced by by forces that they they had no control over so and they would a, a lot of these 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 political activists mostly they were of the right if Avila was definitely of the right he made no bones about that but it's not of a anyways we don't need to get into a political discussion yeah Julius Evelyn was a shit disturber of his time I, I equate it to, to how Giordano Bruno was Giordano Bruno in the late renaissance was the same thing he was like steering up the pot and getting the establishment all freaked out and and you know, shocking people, you can't say that, and you know, you're a heretic and so forth. And he paid for it. Evola paid for it as well. He was crippled at the end of the war. Uh, but um, if you actually read his work and examine his principles, it's pretty clear he is not of a political party persuasion that a lot of people want to put him into. Right. He felt he was above that and that the traditions the values, the principles that he um, adhered to had nothing to do with that. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's it's an ongoing, even now I'm, I'm hearing from colleagues in Italy that, you know, a uh, convention on Evola was disrupted by protesters about, you know, him being fascist and racist, all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just censorism. It's just, it's just mind dumbing, um, aspects of culture that that really needs to should be investigated and elaborated I, as i said to, to rudolph and i'll say it here is that for any seeker don't don't become too attached to any 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 writer or philosopher don't love them too much have a critical eye um and uh, know yourself put yourself first and and that's what evola was saying don't come to me to to march with you to raise a banner you know, do some inner work, do some inner development, free yourself of the prejudices, free yourself of these narrow mindedness of, of these conditioning that you've come through. And once you've got to that level, let's have a discussion. Yeah. And I think the word, one of the words that you used was autarky, which is, is, you know, true self-governance, self-rulership. And exactly. it's a huge key. I mean, we talked about it earlier in, in the, the, the hermetic sense of initiation and rectifying the microcosm with the macrocosm and this idea of, um, of, of veer, you know, I, I think that that's something that if anything, instead of censoring it, I think we need to look at it more closely. (laughs) We need to be looking at his, uh, (laughs) I mean, the society, especially Western society is in just such a topsy turvy in a turmoil. So we have these lights that can bring us to an orientation that has some meaning that can connect with us and give us an orientation and a structure to find who we are and who we are meant to be. I think that needs to be promoted. That needs to be emphasized. And some of the more contingent things in terms of your political allegiances and that type of thing. um, It's, it's just a, to me, it's just a wash. It's just, it's, it's just missing the point. It's people's time. I, I think it's great that that the work you're doing is to, you know, redirect 
our eyes and our ears to this to this work um more deeply because it's it can be can be overwhelming you know there's so many figures and there's so yeah. many different texts and stuff so it's it's really nice to have perhaps um a primer on these things that 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 yeah. sh shows what needs to be shown well i think one of the other goals like is is that this italic tradition is in fact a tradition so th there is a there there is some continuity to it there is a uh, so so though it's like we talked about earlier this whole smorgasbord of of different doctrines and philosophies and it just kind of gets all meshed up in some sort of you know mushy new wave new age type of messaging which really doesn't help anything because it's just all over the place it's whatever you wake up and whatever idea pops into your head you yeah. you 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 hear people spouting so this is actually a tradition that has roots and it has branches and has a trunk of knowledge that that can lead to fruits and lead to to to, to, to some very interesting and very beautiful spiritual results Excellent. Well, I've got I've got um a canned question that I ask all my guests uh, at the end because I'm I'm assuming most of my listeners are occultists and boy do we love books. So, um, <laughs> but uh, for anyone listening today that might want to learn more about the Italic traditions, are there any essential texts you might recommend? And of course, you can include your own. Oh, definitely, I would include. <laughs> I would <laughs> a good place to start would be the Magic Door. Because it, it does cover this tradition from its mythical roots to the late, latest, the last exponents, uh, including uh, Evola, we talked about, Kremers, we talked about, Marco Daffy was, was I think, the last great initiate um, uh, of, of this lineage. So that's all included in there. And the Hermetic tradition is a deep dive into the biography and the works of Giuliano Kremers, who's perhaps the foremost Hermeticists in the Western world, contemporary, at least of the of the last century. Those are two good books to to to, uh, to to start with, and then go back to the classics. Go back to the three books of life of Ficino. Go back to his symposium on 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 love. Go go to um, Pico de Melendez on the dignity of man. Uh, this is about you know understanding we have dignities as well. Uh, as 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 individuals, um, go Giordano Bruno has just a vast uh, spectrum of knowledge. Go back to the classics, the the Corpus Hermeticum. Uh, I think Cambridge University has done a really good trans translation of the fifteen books. Uh, go to the Picatrix. Mm -hmm. Go to uh, Agrippa, the, the the work that you you've mentioned, Ike. Um, that's a really good place to start. Uh, go back to the Neoplatonists, um, both the Greek and the and the Romans, the Iamblichus, Proclus, Periphery. Um, go to the Pythagorean tradition, the the Golden Verses. The, there's a really good uh, by Phanus Press. It's, it's about forty years old now, called the the Pythagorean Handbook that uh, has a lot of the translations of the base material. Pythagoras, which is a huge um, and, and really gets uh, not the attention that it deserves uh, affiliation of, of Western occultism. There's just so much um, knowledge and principles within the that whole Pythagorean body of work. So that's a few a few uh, recommendations that I would make to the reader if they're interested in this in this branch of tradition that they could 
they could start with um, you know the magic door is a good place and then work your way back to to the source excellent well david pantano thank you so much for joining me um this has been an excellent uh, conversation. I, I really appreciate you being willing to come here and spend a little time with me this evening. Thank you so much. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks, Ike. And thanks to the, to the listeners for hanging in this way. <laughs>